Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. Welcome again to the Defender Bible Study. This is Rick Morton, and we're going to be looking today at um, our third week in our study through um, image bearers and this idea of being created in the image of God and the implications of that for uh, for the way that we walk out ministry um, in in Jesus' name into into the world in which we live. And so today we're going to be focusing primarily on um, Colossians one fifteen through twenty three. Um, we'll look at several other passages as we, as we move along this morning, but um, we, we want to talk about um, this morning, focusing in on the topic of, of gospel-driven justice as, as we, as followers of Jesus, um, seek to defend all life. And so um, we, we want to see from God's Word that we are all, every one of us, every human being on the planet, every human being that has, that has ever lived, um, is created in the image of God, and that, um, and and thus is an image bearer of God is a, is an indicator or a reminder or a picture of of God, and and that um, our defense of orphans and and for the vulnerable in general is because um, because men and women, boys and girls, are created in the in the image of God, and so ultimately. Um, we and we don't want to we don't want to mistake here the idea that um, sympathy or empathy for those that are hurting um, that 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 somehow gives us an apathy toward um, the injustice that creates the hurt that we um, we want to defend life and 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 want to bring restoration and redemption to all that sin has broken and and ultimately to to stand as citizens of the kingdom of God against. Um, the brokenness and the effects of sin in our world, and and so that's that's something that um, you know that we do. Paul in in Colossians, as we kind of look at this passage, um, Paul is is learning that there's a there's a really dangerous and destructive teaching that's threatening the church at Colossae. He Paul writes to uh, really to a corrective here um, into this situation and to encourage believers in in their go- growth toward Christian maturity that they that they become and, and, and conform themselves to the image of Jesus because of the work that the Holy Spirit's doing in them. Um, and so Paul takes this opportunity to encourage them to press on toward maturity in Christ by ultimately continuing their battle with sin, pursuing personal holiness, and, and learning to live lives that, that are distinct because, because they're living a life that reflects Christ. So here's what Paul says, beginning in, in verse 15 of chapter 1 of Colossians. Talking about Jesus, he said, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be 
preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled um, in, in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Indeed, you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you've heard, which, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. And so this morning, I kind of want us to look at, or today, I want us to look at five reminders from this passage of, that lead us to, um, to the gospel and propel us to do gospel-centered justice, to do gospel justice for the vulnerable. And so the first truth that we find is that all life is created by God and is precious. Um, we see that Paul, not, not only does Paul say that God created man, but he highlights in verse 16 that all things were created through him and for him. Ultimately, we see in the story of creation that all life is created by God and is precious, that all life has purpose. Um, we are, we're not created in the womb simply um, in, in, an, in an act of, of a man and a woman coming together and, and providing DNA. Um, but we're, we're ultimately, we, you know, we're created in the womb by a loving heavenly father who knits us together, who forms us like a potter and who fashions us in his image. And, and so, um, and so this idea that, that ultimately we're precious because we reflect the glory of God and, and, and the true nature of God, we, like we put something about God that would not otherwise be able to be known on display. Um, and, and so the first thing we kind of you know, can draw from this is that, that men and women are uniquely and wonderfully made by God. Um, you know, part of part of our defense of life and our bearing of the image of God is that we know that all life has value and worth because of the Creator, because we've been made and fashioned in the image of God. Um, but we also understand that men and women are not are not alike <laughs> completely, that there are differences, that there are gender differences that exist between men and women, and, and that we've been created um, differently and distinctly with differences in gifts that ultimately point to um, a, a greater truth about God, that there's there's something about the completedness of creation in in man and woman and, and in the nature of man and woman. And so in, in Genesis 1 and 2, we we kind of see this we see this walked out. So um, the common refrain that you see in in Genesis one and two is that God um, saw His creation and He said it was good. Like He saw it and He saw that it was good. And and so continually through the the, the six days of creation, God continues to um, you know to to look and and to to affirm the goodness of His creation. Um, but verse 18 of chapter 2 of Genesis, we see something that, that seems a little bit odd. It says then in verse 18, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Um, and, and ultimately what we learn here is that, that family, ultimately the, the marriage relationship in particular, is God's institution for the context of human flourishing. That when we operate in loving harmony with a husband nourishing his wife through leadership and a wife respecting her husband in, in deference to Christ, we're showing the world the goodness and the gospel of Jesus Christ which makes all things new. 
When we have a health, when we have healthy, God-fearing families, we begin to see a picture of health, which will show the justice of the kingdom of God to the world. Our healthy families create confident children and strong churches, and and ultimately churches and families which are turned toward seeking to help the vulnerable out of the strength of um, the the sanctity of the relationship that they find in. Um, in in that in that in that family relationship, that husband and wife relationship, that man and woman relationship, that that ultimately reflects um, this interplay between God, um, between Christ and His Church. Second thing is, second truth is that humanity was created for God. So Isaiah forty five nine through twelve, woe to him who strives with him who formed him a pot among the earthen pots. Does the clay say to him who forms it? Uh, what are you making, or what work has no handles, or your work has no handles? Woe to him who says to a father, what are you begetting, or to a woman, what, with what are you in labor? Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel and the one who formed him, ask me of things to come, and I will command you concerning my children um, and the work of my hands. I made the earth and created man on it. It was my hands that stretched out the heavens, and I commanded all their host. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse, verse 31 um, we, we see this idea brought over into the New Testament. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We were ultimately created for the glory of God, and we were ultimately created for God. We were, we were bought with a price. We are not our own. We, we live in an illusion when we believe that we're the point and when we believe um, that, that ultimately the point of the universe is us and our fulfillment. And, and so what we understand is, is that we were made for God. We weren't made for God because he was somehow lonely or incomplete without us. We were ultimately made for God because he takes joy and takes pleasure in us, but also because, because his creation of us and our very existence point to the greatness and the grandeur and the glory of God. And so ultimately, like we are, we're sort of the, the test case that says or, or the thing that demonstrates that, that God is um, perfectly creative and, and that he, he perfectly loves and, and that he perfectly has given life. Um, look again, verse 17 and 8, 18 and 19 of uh, Colossians chapter 1. He is before all things, and in, in him all things hold together. Jesus existed before the foundation of the world, and Jesus, it's, it's like it's by the power of God that the world holds together and that it doesn't blow apart. Even though sometimes we feel like the world is out of control, we have the trust that the world isn't out of control because God's still on his throne. He is the head of the body, the church. Who? Jesus. He is the, he's the, 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 the one who is ultimately uh, the king, and he's ultimately the one that, that, is, um, that leads and guides the church. And who are the church? It's all the people who are gathered together under the blood of Jesus who, who ultimately have responded to Christ and salvation. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. In other words, he's the, he's the older brother that's shown us the way and made the way. That that he's the he's the one who who was born into our into our death. He was born into the midst of our mess. He was born into the midst of our our sin. And it says, but then in everything he might pre, be preeminent. So Jesus was born into all the difficulty and all the brokenness and all the war and all the fighting and and all the strife and everything that's characteristic of this world. Yet he lived without sin. He showed that he is superior to his creation and. That ultimately all worship is due him 
And then in verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Ultimately, Jesus is like Jesus didn't put his godliness on the shelf. Jesus was God wrapped in human form. He was fully God and he was fully man. He wasn't half God and half man. He wasn't some mixture of he was he was completely both. And that ultimately we know that when we reflect Jesus, what we're doing is, is when we defend vulnerable children and show justice uh, because as the sons and daughters of, of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, we know that the lives of the vulnerable who don't have a voice, who can't defend themselves, that they were made for the glory of our God. And then finally, the third thing that we see um, is that God supernaturally designed us to be satisfied in him alone. So, um, so the, the, the great mystery and the great pursuit of life and, and, and where people have chased for all of history, for all of human history, is, is people have chased after fulfillment um, outside of a relationship with God and being satisfied outside of God. That was that was the original sin. That's what Adam and Eve um, fell prey to, and that's that's where they they committed the first sin. That they looked to be satisfied outside of God Himself. Um, Psalm 63, 1 through 4 says, O God, you are my God. I earnestly seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land, there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live in your name. I will lift up your hand, my hands. So in other words, the psalmist is acknowledging that God, the only thing that I really need is you, that, that my soul literally is, 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 is crying out for and has need of you, and it, and it really doesn't have need of anything else but you. The church in Corinth is a great example of our modern-day culture. It was a place that was full of art and pleasure and romance and focused on sensual pleasure. But in the letters to the church at Corinth, Paul continues to exhort the church that the things of the flesh and the pleasures of this world will never truly fulfill us and they will never truly bring peace and satisfaction. This, the truth is that, that part of what we struggle with in, in living a life pleasing to Christ and living life in Christ is that in the presence of sin um, and, and, and in our present condition, we are far too easily pleased. Um, ultimately, we, um, we can't ever begin to look at our lives or the lives of anyone else as an inconvenience. Our society um, categorizes people in terms of their usefulness. But when we find our delight in the Lord and when we find um, our identity in Christ, then we will be willing to do things that seem inconceivable uh, and completely foreign to our neighbors and to our cities and to our, to our world because we're doing it ultimately for the glory of our Savior and for his satisfaction. And so we will inconvenience ourselves. We will, we will go to absurd lengths in, in, in order to value people that the world says are of less value or are valueless because ultimately we know that, that, our, that our value is found um, in, in the fact that, that God has given us the ability to, to delight in him and him alone, and we're not here to make one another happy. Um, only we can be made happy and satisfied in God. 
So, um, you know, so th- this really kind of leads us into kind of a second thought about uh, about justice and and the image of God, and 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 that is that we glorify God by, by our works or by our gospel driven justice toward humanity. Look at verses um, seventeen through nineteen of this same passage. One of the ways that we glorify. Um, God is by performing works uh, of the kingdom, by, by doing things that are indicative of the rules and the reign of the king within his kingdom. Um, and, and so we say all the time, and we should really preach the gospel to ourselves all the time, to say that we are not citizens of this world. We are only passing through. We are sojourners um, in, in, in this life, but this life is not our final destination. We are ultimately living toward a destiny uh, of spending eternity with Christ and that we are citizens of that kingdom, not citizens of this kingdom. Um, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he went into the synagogue in Nazareth in his hometown, and and he quoted a, po- a portion of Isaiah 61, which was um, which was a, a prophecy in Isaiah about the Messiah. And and so this is what we see in Luke chapter four, beginning in verse 16, about that that happening and and the kind of the details that we see about. It. That And it says, And he, Jesus, came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor." He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering sight uh, of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. That's huge and that's extremely important detail. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him and he, and he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Um, now the people that were listening to Jesus thought that he was just another prophet like John the Baptist or, or the prophets of old um, and that he was telling about the coming of the Messiah. They didn't understand that the Messiah was sitting in front of them and that he had just declared himself to them. Um, this idea that Jesus sat down is ultimately like he's showing the completion of this. He sat down because the word had been spoken and and the word had been fulfilled. And, and so there's a sense that like God was at rest because his word had been fulfilled. And, and so, um, you know, we know that that part of what we've been tasked to do is to take the good news of the gospel to to three specific groups that are marginalized that we see within this passage, the captives, the blind, and the oppressed. And, and really, I want us to kind of think about orphaned, vulnerable children and their families and, and kind of how they relate to these groups. So the first thing are, are the captives. Um, that, that we should, um, but we're not talking necessarily about people that always that are physically captive. We're not talking about those who are in prison. What we're talking about is people that are ultimately imprisoned to their sin, that they're, 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 they're caught up in the cat- captivity of alcohol and drugs and pornography and perversity and gluttony and all of these kinds of things that are that are ultimately idols that that we that we place in our lives and and that we and that we worship in the place of God um, and and that it it ought to grieve us that that image bearers of God are being held captive um, to these idols being held captive to these 
passions, um, being held captive by by these powers and 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 by these things that enslave them, and and by ultimately, um, you know, what we see the Bible talk about the principalities and powers of this world by you know by the influence and and the delusion of Satan. Yeah, folks, we must be moved and driven to action by the 153 million orphans who are held captive on streets and in institutions and within systems of poverty and abuse. We must grieve and mourn with those who mourn, but we also have to be spurred to action. Um, but it's not only children, uh, it's not only physical captivity and physical difficulty that, that orphans are caught in. They're also they're, they're enslaved and, and held captive many times in spiritual captivity. And so that's why we have to make sure that we continue to proclaim the gospel as we go to care for orphans. Because at the end of the day, we really haven't done anything of eternal significance if we make um, a, a, a temporal difference. A, a right now difference if we give a child a more comfortable way to a Christless eternity. Second group that, that we see that's pointed out in this passage is uh, the blind. That that we ultimately, um, you know, we ultimately need to to have. Um, we need to have a, a, an awareness and understanding of those who are who are living with um, physical disability and disease. Um, for those of us that are relatively um, healthy and and free from challenge and free from disease. Um, we have to recognize that there are people in our midst that suffer from cancer and suffer from um, from chronic pain and, and from incurable diseases. That there are orphans around the world who need to be adopted, who are blind or deaf or or um, or, or have Down syndrome or some other um, disability or ailment. There's like there's some physical challenge or or some intellectual challenge um, that 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 causes them. Um, to that that um, that weighs them down, but ultimately our our job is to value them and to go to them and to provide for them and and to and to redeem them in this life. That means bringing them into places where their lives are made better. But ultimately, we do that so that we so that we have the opportunity to be able to 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 tell them and show them and to disciple them in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The, the third group that we see and, and that we talk about in this passage are the oppressed. Um, that, you know, physically um, we show compassion and empathy and gospel action for those who are in places where they're powerless and abused. We're seeing the church step out and do amazing things in the middle of uh, the war that's presently going on in Ukraine. And there's a, there's a huge cry to, to help those who cannot help themselves and those who are being oppressed. Um, that includes for us, in a general sense, caring for orphans and widows and and strangers. Why? Because because as the Bible defines those groups, those are the people who had no rights for themselves. They had no ability to advocate for themselves. And that when we're showing gospel hospitality to these groups who have been who've been ostracized and oppressed and are forgotten and and are left alone, when we're providing for them through adoption and fostering and visiting and 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 providing for their tangible 
individual needs and, and giving them loving care, ultimately um, what we're showing is a, is a picture of the restoration that, that can only be found in Jesus. And so we're caring for their physical needs, but we're pointing the world to, to the care of our spiritual needs that only could be accomplished by um, the, the work of Jesus. And, and so, um, you know, ultimately we want to recognize that, that our role in this is to, is to function as one um, who reflects the character and the heart and, and the person of Jesus. Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse 3, he talks about having the mind of Christ. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who... Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so ultimately, this brings us kind of to this third reminder from this passage that, that helps to, to lead us to, to be propelled forward from the gospel to do gospel justice on, the ha- on behalf of the, fo- the vulnerable. And this is the truth, that true hope comes from the guarantee of Christ that this fallen world is not our home. To have the mind of Jesus is to realize that we've been given the opportunity to to live as a servant, that we've been given the opportunity to not count our, our place in the family of God that's been provided through the blood of Jesus, to not wear that as, as a badge of honor, but to see it as, um, as, as a calling to serve. Again, look at verse 20 in Colossians chapter 1. Um, through him to reconcile himself to all himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace by the blood of his cross. Um, folks, the thing that we can't forget is that the the most important thing that we do in seeking justice is that as we go and right earthly wrongs, as we step into correct oppression, as we step into to, to tangibly um, push back um, things that have been brought about because of sin and the fall, we have to remember that that ultimately that that it's all about um, providing an opportunity to be able to point to the good news that provides great hope, which is the gospel. Um, the gospel reminds us that this isn't our home, and it propels us forth um, into places where we risk our, our comfort and our security for the sake of the kingdom. Why? Because we're not living for a kingdom here. We're living uh, with a hope for another home. Um, I, even even in these these days, as as we thought about the the plight of our dear brothers and sisters and and the dear people of Ukraine, um, th- there's a realization that 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 is that counterbalances and 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 kind of I think helps us to think about this. That yes, we want desperately an end to war. We want an end to the suffering of people that's caused um, by by the war that has that has been brought upon Ukraine. But at the end of the day, the hope of the Ukrainian people is not a ceasefire. It's not peace. It's not humanitarian corridors. The hope of the Ukrainian people is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that ultimately they, like we, like all of us, are journeying through this life for a for a moment, um, for a brief time. But, but in the light of eternity, the time that we spend and even the suffering that we do pales in comparison to, to, the, to the greater sense of eternity with Christ. 
And and so this world is is like like thinking about this world in those terms is like thinking about looking at your reflection in a broken or a shattered mirror. Um, we will not see perfection. We see the flaws. But if we look closely enough in the midst of the mess and, and in the midst of the difficulty, what we can see are, are beautiful little glimpses of what God um, created this world to be. And, and so uh, Peter, in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, he says it this way, Beloved, I, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and, go, and glorify God on the day of visitation. And so in other words, when we live lives of radical obedience, we'll be ignored by some, we'll be hated by others, we'll be, we'll be mocked. And, and, and we may even be hurt. Um, but however, the, the, the thing that we really get to do in that is that, that, that we get them to take notice of, of this little sample of the glory of God that's being seen through our actions. Lord willing, hopefully they'll, de- they'll deserve uh, they'll, or they'll develop a, a thirst and a hunger um, for, for the, for the, ultimately for the grace of God that can only come through Jesus and they'll, they'll, they'll develop a, a, a hunger and a yearning for the satisfaction that can only come um, with Christ. And so um, today, I, I just I pray today that, that as, you, um, as, as you hear this word and as you, uh, as you think about what it is that God has, has set you apart for today, that you'll remember that this world is not our home. Um, that 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 everything that we see and everything that we experience is not all that there is, and that you and I have the privilege to to bear the message of salvation, to to have the good news of the gospel, and that what we've been called into is to live our lives in such a way to bring justice to those who are experiencing injustice in ways that we can testify to the truth of the gospel. That it's not merely just about setting this world straight because this world is not the point. Um, it's the world to come, and it's and it's the life and and the and and the world and and the new heaven and the and the new earth that have ultimately uh, been been bought and paid for, and and we have a promise of in the blood of Jesus. And so I pray today that that God will lead you in big and small ways to see the opportunities before you. Um, and, and ultimately to press toward the idea of caring for the vulnerable in the name of Jesus as a way of pointing the world to the truth um, that, that, is, that is found in uh, the work of Jesus, that, that he is their hope, that he is their portion, and that ultimately that, that, they, that they have the opportunity, um, like we all have, to be, to be adopted into the family of God by and through the, wor- the work of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus, and that we have the opportunity to take part in a citizenship in the kingdom of heaven, a kingdom that will never go away, a kingdom that will never fail, and a, and a kingdom in which our God is enthroned and worshiped forever. Thanks for taking time to study with us today in our Bible study. We'll be back again next week in the Defender Bible study. We'll continue in week four of this uh, this series as we look through um, being created in the image of God and the implications for how that causes us to live in today's world.
Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study.